Got depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same page, safe place. Therapy is great, and this ain't the same. But we're crying behind sunglasses anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey, 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 Sunnies. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm Katie Dahl, and I'm just so happy to have you here. It's been a really great ride, and I can share that I got my first dose of the vaccine, the Moderna one, you know, the one that Dolly Parton donated a million dollars to. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I could do anything. I mean, obviously I have to wait and you have to get the second shot and then wait two weeks for life to get back to normal. But oh boy, I mean, coming up soon, once we're all vaccinated, I'll be able to actually interview people in person on this podcast, which is so exciting because I've been doing all of this over Zoom. And I can't even imagine the new levels that these conversations could go to. They'd be more intimate, you know, we're able to do it in person. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, just so you know, this is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. I'm not a doctor, just someone who really cares about your mental health and wants to make you laugh a little bit. So today's guest, we have Lauren Blair Donovan. She's a comedian and a puppeteer. She has a series called Good Grief on YouTube, as well as a puppet show called Raquel's Buzzkill Boulevard Puppet Show. So um, what do we talk about today? This is the thing. Uh, She lost her dad at a really young age and her mom a little bit more recently. And so she has had to navigate most of her adult life um, in varying stages of grief and grieving. So we talk about how to process grief and how to let yourself really feel your feelings. Also, how to be a friend to someone else who just lost someone that they love. Uh, I think that's really important, how to be there for someone, not by just saying it, but certain actions that you can take. Uh, And we also talk about how she got into puppetry and uh, her early aspirations of being the next Jim Henson. So very interesting convo. And I hope you guys enjoy. And um, oh, don't forget after the episode, if you love what you heard, please, please, please go into your iTunes or Spotify or whatever and subscribe and leave a review. Um, Those reviews are really important. They help get out the word to more and more listeners so that we can keep destigmatizing these conversations around mental health. All right. Enjoy. Today's guest, I am really excited to talk to. She's got uh, some topics that we're going to cover that are very close to my heart. Um, Please welcome the comedian, puppeteer, and host of Good Grief series on YouTube, as well as uh, the creator of Raquel's Buzzkill Boulevard, which is a puppet show, uh, Lauren Blair Donovan. Hi, Katie. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It was really great to to e-meet you through another guest of mine, uh, Savannah Manhattan. Yes, one of my very close friends. It's so exciting. I don't know if you feel this way. But anytime there's an opportunity to talk to someone I either vaguely know or don't know at all in these crazy, this crazy year, it's been a year, let's be real. It's so nice because it's like, it's just nice to broaden because uh, you know how it is when life is open, you you are always meeting people in comedy world. And to some extent, it's been nice to rest that a little bit and just focus on close friends. But I do miss meeting people and possibly having new friends. So this is really <laughs> fun for me for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. It is. Um, it's tough because I think you aren't making any of those new connections and mm-hmm. like a lot of like the, my circle just feels so much smaller, which can be good in some ways because I feel like the few the few connections that have survived have become very strong. But also I do miss those like getting to know someone (laughs) like that doesn't seem to be happening as much. So, right. Just the excitement of knowing you could meet anyone is kind of out the window, but I agree with you. I feel so emotionally healthy in a way with like how strong my friendships are. And I don't miss hanging out out of default with people I don't necessarily like. Like, I love that it's only people you like this year. It's only people you like and you have the perfect excuse to not see people. Like, it's not even personal. You're just like, sorry, it's COVID. 
you know? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so since you have stepped into my virtual unlicensed therapy office, yes. yay! I would like to start with the question of just how are, how are we feeling today? No, we are feeling pretty good today. I feel like it was kind of a dark winter, but the past couple weeks, I want to say I've been a lot more hopeful and more spring in my step and just, I don't know. It's just been easier than it was, if that makes sense. (laughs) What do you think has changed for you? That's a really good question because I'm not entirely sure. Um, (laughs) I feel like, I don't know. I think it was like a combination like this winter where too many things kind of happened at once where it was like, I, I don't really have seasonal affective disorder, but at the same time, I'm very sensitive to less daylight hours and I get super tired all the time. And that started to happen when our numbers in LA had never been higher and there were sirens going off and half my building doesn't wear masks and I have a dog and I have to take her out and just being in the stairwells, not knowing who you're going to bump into. And then just hitting like the pandemic wall that I think so many of us have like hit mm-hmm. and you know, cause it was like going on a year at that point. And it's like, Oh my God, this is a while. So I think the past couple of weeks, it's been lighter. The cases are lower. So I feel more comfortable taking my dog on long walks. Like I wasn't even doing that because I was just so afraid of bumping into people who are not in mass. And so it was very, maybe I can like hang inside. I'm kind of, I'm an extroverted introvert. So like I can hang, but I kind of love hanging inside if that makes sense. But it to be like, not feel safe to leave was different and it's lighter out. And, you know, I started taking some like supplements that maybe are supposed to like enhance your mood. What are they? Oh, I don't know the names offhand. One is Ashwanga. Oh, Ashwagandha. Thank you. Yeah, that's what it is. And then there's one that starts with, it's like an R-H-O and then I forget the rest of it. Is it reishi? Is it like the mushroom extract? Mm, No. Okay. We're going to find out. We'll look Uh it up. We'll put (laughs) it in the show notes after. I'm very curious. I'm always looking for stuff like um, last year for like at least a few months, I was taking these Chinese herbs that were really great uh, that were given to me by my acupuncturist, also a name that I can't pronounce. I would have to just like (laughs) look it up. Um, I think that they were known as like the the uh, the wanderer herbs. Mm. Um, But interesting. It's, I think that it's really cool when we can find supplements, like natural things that can help us and kind of balance things out. So exactly. That's why I was like getting, cause I started taking vitamin D in the winter, but I've heard that can take a little while to build up. And I was mm-hmm. starting to just be like, cause despite some bad circumstances, which we will go into, I can usually stay pretty even and sure. above water, even if I'm really feeling it. But I was like getting into uncharted territory this winter. I was like, Oh, I don't, something's going on with me. So I looked up these like natural supplements and I don't know if it's placebo effect or not, but they kind of feel like they worked. So I will take it. (laughs) Placebo or not. It doesn't matter. That's kind of how I felt about the Chinese herbs too. I was like, Mm -hmm. cause my acupuncturist was like, listen, this is like Xanax and Midol, but in herbal form. And interesting. I was like, okay, cool. Like it'll bounce my hormones (laughs) and it chill me out. Like, great. I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's all in my head, but it doesn't matter because it's working. It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm all for placebo effect. Like that's like the one area in life that if I'm wrong and it's like not actually working, I don't care. I don't care. Like yeah. I will be wrong. I will believe it's working. It's well, although unless you're like in a thing that's like medical, actually this is tangent, but relevant. Mm-hmm. One of my best friends did was in a vaccine trial for COVID. Ooh, ooh. And she didn't know they they had like two thirds of the people in the study got the vaccine and one third did not. And she they don't tell you. And so in that <sighs> case, you know, getting a placebo, it's like not good. <laughs> wait, so there's still so wait, 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 they're still not telling her despite that the vaccines were are released now? Uh no, this is a while ago. This is like okay. before oh, okay. it was available Got to the general it. public. And they didn't tell her until like after she had gotten her second dose. And it was funny because she didn't get sick from her first dose. So she was like, Oh, I'm so mad. I probably got a placebo, but then she got really sick on her second dose and she was like mm. happy to be sick. <laughs> she was like, even though they didn't tell me, I'm for sure I definitely got it because I'm so sick. Larry, I'm glad right. you're happy. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess there's reasons to be happy about being sick too. It's funny <laughs> how, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. total tangent. Uh, but I appreciate love you going it. with me on it. Uh, love it. No, I love it. I'm going to bring this back around to you though. Um, like I had said in our intro, you have this series on YouTube I was watching, which is really awesome called good grief. Thank you. And I would love to go into um, your reasons behind starting that series and, um, you know, what you're hoping to do with it. Because there was a lot of really great information for people, not only people who are going through grief, but I thought there was also a lot of good information on how to treat your friends or family if they are grieving and the right things to say to them. And I think that's so important. So um, what has been your personal journey with grief? So I've unfortunately had a lot of people pass away on me. Um, my dad died when I was a teenager. I've lost all my grandparents, an aunt, an uncle, a couple friends, and my mom died almost three years ago. So I've kind of had more than my fair share for being still pretty young, you know, uh, and it's been at times overwhelming because we don't talk about death in this time in this culture, in this country, whatever you want to call it, there are other places in the world that I think are more comfortable with talking about the deceased or, or they have like longer, uh, like funerals where they hang out with the body for longer, which I have mixed feelings on, but like, we just don't have that attitude at all. Like here, we're not comfortable with not only death, but with emotions. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Everyone wants to just pretend that, that they're happy all the time. And yes. that that's the only way you can be. And then, of course, because our culture has so many taboos around death, it's kind of like people don't know how to feel because they haven't been taught that it's OK to feel bad. Yes. So between the, the combo of the, the uncomfortable feelings about death and not knowing how to respond or feel about emotions, it's been sometimes just a nightmare for me to be even understood or heard or not accidentally gaslit. Like I think most people have very good intentions, but mm. there's just so many ways to like mishandle anyone's emotions, no matter what they're going through. Absolutely. And if it's something, if there's something that they're even more uncomfortable with, it, that's going to be like just doubling down on it. And it really shocked me because a lot of the, the loss that I've had happened in like young adulthood. And then it was like just over a decade later, my mom died. And it was kind of like interesting because we had made a lot of progress, I felt like, in it as a country with trying to understand less heard voices, whether it like between my dad passing and my mom passing, like LGBTQ plus rights have at least become more of a mainstream conversation and largely accepted comparatively to what they used to be. I mean, we, with everything I'm about to say, we still have a ways to go. Nothing's no, but there cured. has been progress that have been made in a lot of areas, but maybe right. not so much surrounding death. Exactly. Cause mental health, same thing, other marginalized communities. And again, ways to go, ways to go. But I was shocked, especially being in LA because my mom passed away seven months after I moved here, which had its own <laughs> complications and issues and, and yeah. very overwhelming moments. But it was also like, I, I would, I would have expected, especially in the comedy community for more people to be willing to receive my actual feelings and experiences on what I was going through. And it felt like people were kind of afraid of it. So I was like, well, yeah, I have to start talking about this. <laughs> I have to be a part of the conversation that normalized this because the sad, unfortunate fact of it is, well, there's two really sad facts. One is we're all going to die. Yeah. So it's absurd that we don't talk about death when this is a life fact, but it's also, here's the thing. If you never grieve anyone, you're actually incredibly unlucky because it means you died before anyone that you loved did. Mm. So we're all hopefully in a weird way, going to lose someone we love. We need to be better equipped to handle that and handle the people who are losing people. So I'm like, yeah, I can't, not on my watch anymore. We, we, we got to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that that's the thing is that you saw a, like you saw a void in mm -hmm. what is out there. And you said, I'm going to go fill that, you know? Yes. And actually what you just said reminded me of, have you been watching WandaVision? No, I want to though. Okay. So, this won't spoil yeah, the show at all yeah. for you, okay. but, um, <laughs> 
basically uh, in the show, uh, Lizzie Olsen's character, um, the Scarlet Witch, she basically- I love her. Yeah, so her whole character is really based on a lot of grief because she, Vision is um, her love. And even though he's died before in other movies, she finds ways to bring him back and she constructs this whole world because she doesn't want to deal with the world without him. And um, towards the end of the show, I won't give the context to spoil it for anybody, but uh, there's (laughs) just a beautiful quote um, that he says to her, uh, which is, uh, what is grief if not love persevering? And I thought that was really beautiful because like you you were saying, um, it's really a shame if you have never lost anyone you love because then you don't even know how to deal with it and you don't know how to help others through it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a, especially since we do live in like a first world country, regardless of our problems, which go very deep and I'm not trying to minimize that, but like, for the most part, we don't have children dying young for the most part. We don't have like, you know, we don't have a situation where we're stepping on landmines regularly and people are, you know, it it is a different, we have, well, we don't have great healthcare, let's be real, but we have access to it in theory. So it's like, people do live a long time, which is great, but it, but it means a lot of people haven't been through things, so they don't know how to like handle it. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So take me back when you were a teenager. I mean, that's, that's a really tough time developmentally, regardless of what's happening in your life, let alone dealing with, um, losing a parent. How was that for you? I mean, what, what exactly happened? I mean, whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, so as an older teenager, which I do feel there's never a good time, but like my brother, for instance, was like a freshman in high school. And I think that would have been like way harder, yeah. you know? So like being that much older, I think, uh, was I'll take it. Uh, uh, I had to pick, I guess it was tough because when you're a young adult, you're not really an adult. Like when do you really become an adult? Like that's a whole different conversation. But like, I look at 18 year olds, I look at 22 year olds, I look at 25 year olds and I'm like, you're so little, like, and I'm not even that old, but like, it's just, your brain isn't totally fully formed until you're about 25 or 26. That's right. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Even then I think there's so much learning that goes on all the time. So it's, it's hard to say. So, so you were 17? I was 18, 19, I think. I'd have to think about that for a second. But yeah, and then I, but I was still living at home. I was in college, but I was still living at home because I was commuting before I eventually transferred to like a faraway university. But um, I, what, I did get the, ex- <laughs> it feels like a weird thing to say, but I got the experience of like losing a parent while still living at home. It wasn't like with my mom, I lived across the country from her and had for most of my adult life, you know what I mean? So it was like a little different, but to have him be gone was really terrible, um, for obvious reasons, but I was also very close with my dad and he was very much just a great dude, great father. We were friends. And when you're a young adult trying to figure out your adult life, um, having, that's that root be kind of ripped away. It was traumatic. So, and it was, it was sudden. Yeah. So basically he was a diabetic and he was doing pretty well with it. Um, but he was in a car accident six months before he died. And I think it just kind of knocked the dominoes over like that. Mm. I, I don't think he would have necessarily lived to be an old man, but I don't know if he would have died the day he did, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because it, you know, it messed up his neck, back and ribs and he wasn't like walking as much. And I think he kind of fell off the wagon, maybe like diet wise. And he just had a couple other complications pop up that I cannot help but think were related. So I was afraid of my dad's like health. And I was afraid of him making it to old age. I didn't know if I really believed that, but I did not, the way he died was pretty traumatic because I had dinner with him the night Mm -hmm. he died. And then he was just gone an hour later. Wow. And that night at dinner, I remember very specifically thinking, you know, kind of exactly what I just said. Like, I don't know if he'll make it to old age, but you're being a drama queen. He's not going to die like this year. Like you're being paranoid. And then he was dead an hour later. So you were saying to yourself, no, you're being a drama queen. It's fine. And then yes. 
he was gone. We were at a restaurant, just the two of us. He was in like great spirits. And we go home in separate cars. I saw him very, very briefly in the kitchen. I went upstairs. An hour later, I come down and he's dead in his chair. And I'm like, what? Like, it's just mm. so like that, that rug from being pulled out from under me, like really, uh, I think that's like a big trigger and trauma point. Like when, when sometimes in life, like when people say they're going to do something and then they don't, or like you think something's going to happen and the rug gets pulled out from under, like that's such a trigger point for me. Cause I literally was like, he'll be fine. And then the most important person in my life died <laughs> and wow. was not fine. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So that's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry you've had to go through that, but obviously you took what was a traumatic experience for you and you've, you've turned it around and learned a lot from it. Yeah. I've tried to, I mean, yeah. And you, he was a really big part of your life. So, um, what was, what's like a fun memory of your dad? What's something that you liked to do together? We would just talk a lot, which is such a boring answer, <laughs> but <laughs> like, okay. we just got along, <laughs> we just got along so well. And I think our brains were kind of similar. So we could just have like deep conversation and talk about the gray areas of life. And I think he loved it when I was like learning how to drive because we could just go for drives and sh shoot the breeze. Like, you know, so he was just, uh, yeah, just very funny, very smart, very like, uh, well liked too. I have references. I'm not like posthumously <laughs> saying because people do that. You know? I believe you. Like, this person <laughs> was a saint and they were a monster. Uh, yeah. But no, every time I get to hang out with people who knew him, they're just so sweet about what they have to say about him. So I feel very, if I had to, you know, I, what, what am I trying to say? I'm not lucky, but at the same token, I think I got more out of him in like less than 20 years than some people get with triple the amount of time with their parents. And it's not to minimize the pain because it sucks. And it's not to minimize all that he missed out on, which is already a lot. And hopefully sure. I'll live a long life and he'll miss out on even more. But um, I, at least probably around like 25, I started to have that opinion where it's like, look, this sucks, but you did have it good. And he did shape you in a really profound way that lets you have maybe more meaning in life and a good, you know, just compass directionally about like what's good and what's bad in the world. So you did. Okay. <laughs> I think you did great. I mean, I'm getting emotional just listening to you because I think Aww. so many people, um, myself included, you know, I didn't get a good relationship with my dad, you know? So like, yeah, that is, something that even though he's not here like you can treasure those memories and yeah. um it is something that is special you know mm -hmm. um and it, it sucks like that it was cut short but like how cool that you had like an, a solid loving relationship with him you know and something yeah. that you can look back on and reminisce about and smile yeah. No, thank you. I, yeah, no, I'm sorry. You missed out on that. Cause that sucks too. It all sucks. It's all, you know, I think no matter what happens to you, everything sucks. <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't saying like, away. this is not the trauma Olympics. Okay. Uh, this... Oh, I know. I know. It's, still, it's always so funny when you're being interviewed. Cause like, I always want it to be like a two way conversation where yeah. it's like, you know what I mean? But it's like, I know that can be weird too, but no, oh, I just wanted to, no, I'm an open wanted, book. To acknowledge, wanted to acknowledge what you said. Of course. No, I'm an open book. Like I always like, mm -hmm. what if I have guests that turn around on me and ask me questions, I'm like, all right, sure. Like I'll talk about myself, you know, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> I think it's better that way. Yeah. I think podcasts work that way. So I'm a fan yeah, of <laughs> Yeah. Cause sometimes it's also just like, uh, I don't want people to feel like I'm just like, okay, 120 questions. Bam, 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 bam. Right. <laughs> right. Totally. Totally. <laughs> hey, Sunnies. I know it's really easy to feel like you are alone out there. This pandemic has been very isolating. And also if you're going through depression or anxiety, that can be even more isolating because you feel like you want to reach out, but you don't want to be a burden on your friends or you don't know the right thing to say, or maybe you're ashamed, whatever it is, you shouldn't feel bad about needing to get help. So that's why I'm really happy to share that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
And they are, I think, in my opinion, the best provider of online therapy. So what is BetterHelp? Basically, it is the biggest online counseling service that you can find. It is populated with lots of qualified therapists and counselors that are ready to help you. When you sign up, they give you a personalized quiz and then they will match you with a therapist that suits your needs within 24 hours. And you can give your preferences as to what kind of therapy you want to receive, what it is that you're going through. If you want to have male, female, young, old, whatever kind of therapist you want to have, they got them. So I really highly recommend it. And there's a special offer for my sunnies. It is 10% off your first month if you go to betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash cryingbehindpod. And you can contact your therapist however you want. They have video chat, messaging, phone calls, however you want to do it, you can get in touch with them. So I think it's really awesome. And this is the next step for therapy, I think, is to bring everything virtual so that you don't even have to worry about trying to drive to an office. So betterhelp.com slash crying behind pod. So I was very curious about how you got into puppetry because I know um, you're a comedian. You've uh, done UCB and Second City and um, all different kinds of entertainment. But um, what drew you specifically to puppets? This is such a wild story. Um, okay, so my my dad was a great hands-on parent, but so this, I I have to disclaim that because it's going to make him sound like such a knucklehead. (laughs) Okay. But I think, I think he kind of saw parenthood as like a second chance at childhood. Like he was all for watching Looney Tunes and like all these other cartoons and just Disney and all that stuff. Right. Like he loved toys and cartoons and comedy, all that. He loved teaching me all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And the Muppets were in there somewhere. So I remember loving them when I was really young. And then I kind of didn't watch them again until I was about 10 or 11 years old. And I think like Nickelodeon was playing like the Muppet show in the afternoons or one of those stations. And I started watching. And at first I was like, cause you, when you're like 10 or 11, you're trying to be an adult or you're trying to grow up and you're maybe trying to abandon your childish interests, but it never usually works out very well. Let's be real. (laughs) And this was one of those moments because I begrudgingly started to kind of fall in love with the Muppet show. And, and I always kind of had like a little bit of a comedy brain where I was like, Oh, this is so absurd. It's Steve Martin or Vincent Price with these stuffed animals and they're acting like this is normal. And you know, like I, I, I loved it. And I started to become obsessed with it to the point that I started telling people that I wanted to be the next Jim Henson when I grew up. Mm. So that was like my main career objective. And no one knew what to do with it because as much as my dad supported my interest in this stuff, he didn't know where to obtain a puppet or, or how to like, you know what I mean? Like, Of course, it's a very unique thing. Very unique. It's not like, oh, I want to be a lawyer. Great. Go to law school or yes. even in entertainment being like, oh, I want to be a filmmaker. Great. Okay. We're going to get her a camera. We're going to find mm-hmm. a film school. Puppetry. It's like, it is very niche. It's different. Very niche. And we're from like a small town in Pennsylvania and we're near some cities, but like, even then that still feels obscure. And neither of my parents, I mean, my mom could sew a button, but that was it. Like I'm not (laughs) from a crafty family. I cannot, I, my joke is I quit the Girl Scouts at nine years old because I hated crafting so much and I just can't, I can't do it. I don't, even to this day, I I can't sew a button. I'm terrible. Like all that stuff. So my passion did not really lend itself in any practicality. Like there was no avenue to really pursue that, but I never really forgot that. I always had like a low key, just softest of soft spot for the Muppets and in just other puppet forms and, and things of that nature. And then I move out here in October of 2017 and by the end of the year, I hear that Second City Hollywood is offering a puppetry for the improviser class starting in January. Ooh. Taught by a Jim Henson alum, like someone who was trained there. And I was like, okay, I have to make sure that like the first eight Wednesdays or whatever it was of 2018, 
I have to be at this class. I will move mountains. I, I just, this is what, cause this is like a childhood dream come true, you know? And it's like, I gave myself permission to not love it. I just had to like, cause you don't know, like sometimes you like stuff as a kid and you, you get to see that realized and you're like, Oh, this is actually kind of lame or, Oh, I don't actually enjoy it. Or I'm not talented at it or whatever it may or may not be. So I was like, you know, you can have an out. You just have to complete the class. You have to submit to the process. You have to like be open to all of it. You got to give yourself that permission just to see how it's going to go. Because it might be that you have this whole idea in your head and you get yes. there and you're like, oh, not for me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? I didn't want to be like, I was realizing how cool it was that like this opportunity even came my way, but I didn't want to get so married to a vision of how it had to be and miss Mm -hmm. out on the actual experience or feel too let down by how it felt or whatever. But as it's probably obvious, I did love it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I did get kind of good at it. And so I started to run very hard with it because it is sort of an obscure thing. So it does open up different doors kind of quicker, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you're in comedy troupe sketch or improv, people want to book you because they want to see the puppets. And I've been able to get a couple like gigs or even like some low key consistent work doing puppetry. It's just like so fun, you know, because it's the competition isn't, I mean, there's enough puppeteers, but it's still only like, I feel like I'm in like a Facebook group, like puppeteers of LA. I feel like it's only like 200 people deep. Like you would think it would be more in a city like this, but nope, it's still pretty niche for yeah, like an entertainment city. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's something about it. Cause I was trying to think, I was like, huh, like what would draw someone to puppetry and like, why would they be good at it? And there has to be an element of like, oh, maybe it's easier to be silly and um, be more open and do certain things when you're literally speaking through something else. Oh, yeah. It's, it's well, like a sketch that I did with Raquel's Buzzkill Boulevard, which is like an absurdist human puppet sketch project where nine times out of 10, the humans don't acknowledge that they're, they're working with puppets. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's usually part of the joke. Occasionally there's like a button where it's a puppet or it's a little bit of a setup that, there's a puppet involved, but it's pretty rare. But, um, I have a friend who's a ukulele player, Adam Winnie. I don't know if you know him or not, but he's super talented and he, uh, wanted to maybe collaborate on something with puppets and music. And so we wrote a sketch called G is for grief, which is very on topic for like what this <laughs> whole podcast is about. Yeah. We're basically Raquel, my main puppet. I've kind of gifted her with also being an orphan mm. <laughs> and, um, basically to a very happy song set to like a ukulele track she's gaslit according to the letters of grief like g is for get over it r is for are you still sad i is for i don't really care like you know and so forth where it's just like and it's kind of based on my real experiences of people being very dismissive or not understanding why I'm still sad about the death of one of my parents a whole 6 months later or whatever it may or may not be And some are actual verbatim quotes, which is kind of scary, but it's like, what's fun about it is if you, if I did that, like if I wrote a song with someone and I got on stage and said, I'm still sad. And then a song breaks out and everybody says all these terrible things in a happy way. It wouldn't be funny because I'm a human. And if people know anything about my life story, it would be like sad, you know? Sure. But there's something about an orange puppet being gaslit on stage. That's very funny, even if it's like a serious topic. So there, there, it does, you hit the nail on the head. It totally lends itself to whether it's darker comedy or more emotional comedy, or like, if you're really trying to say something, but it feels not safe to say it as yourself, right? (laughs) It's, it's a thousand times easier. It really is. That's yeah. I think that that's really interesting because I think that's the difference between, um, like for me doing stand up versus doing um something where i'm playing a character whether yeah. I, i'm acting you know like when you're acting and you're playing a character it's a little easier to hide behind that because you're like okay like i'm doing a script or like i'm playing a person and like even if there's parts of me in it i can just write it off and say it's someone else right versus if you do stand up it's basically everything is you if people don't laugh 
then it, it's easier to take it a little bit more, um, more personally. So of course. it's kind of a similar situation. And I, but that does make sense. It's like, no matter what a puppet does, it's automatically going to lean funny and people are going to receive it a little bit easier. Um, did you, I'm, I mean, obviously, uh, I'm sure, are you a fan of Avenue Q? Weirdly enough, I've never seen it. <gasps> and I kind of, actually, I do need to, but I, cause isn't that a Sesame Street parody too? Kinda, yeah. I remember watching, I, I saw the musical on Broadway when it was out and then I'm just like, I'm a fan of all the songs and stuff. But I think what resonated with me um, was that they were able to take on some really tough topics like racism mm-hmm. and just like I- income inequality and different things that you wouldn't want to be lectured about, right? But when they make a funny song and they have puppets, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I can do this, you know, taking down the, the medicine with a spoonful of sugar that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, very very Ab- similar to what you're doing. And, um, but I think that like at the same time, I understand why you wouldn't want to watch it because you don't want to like copy what they're yeah. doing. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of cool that I just naturally haven't seen it, I guess. And I, I, at this point, I probably would watch it if I got like access to it or the opportunity or whatever, because I think I, I have my thing stylized enough where it wouldn't be too corrupted. But I like, I like that I didn't see it because I did kind of come to aspects of everything with what I'm doing on my own. And it's like my own take on things where, you know, I do want to tackle some bigger issues because, oh my God, there's so much wrong with the world and why not talk (laughs) about it? Why not talk about it through puppets? It does kind of disarm people and not necessarily all through music. Some of it can just be like, you know, I want to make one of my uh, puppets like a YouTube vlogger, like a video essay, but like answer questions about like what people are confused about, about like harder topics that's going on. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it would just be easier received through a puppet even, you know what I mean? So like, I do want to tackle some stuff. Don't get me wrong. But I also love tackling the emotional stuff, the darker aspects of just day to day life and like people's personal experiences that everyone can relate to. And it's just so much fun. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I, I enjoy that. And I also, like I said, I enjoy that, uh, the videos that you've been doing that are just you as well. Cause it's like, you're, you're really funny on your own. So thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, just, just a little plug. Yay. <laughs> so you brought up that you made, so Raquel is also an orphan. Um, mm-hmm. and how has that been for you? Like navigating friendships and personal relationships when that question comes up? You know, when people ask about your parents and then you inevitably you're like, oh, no, I have to say something like, how do you navigate that? Yeah, Uh, I guess there's two answers, because like in college, uh, I would try to put it off as long as possible because Mm -hmm. my dad was recently gone, especially when I transferred like seven months after he died or whatever the situation was. Mm -hmm. Um. And I'm from like a small town where he was well known. So I was kind of tragedy girl by default. So when I moved away from home, I did not want people to be thinking of me that way. I mean, I never wanted to lie and I never did, but I would, ooh, and that 20 question game would come up and people would be, because I'm just going to Florida and I'm from Pennsylvania and they would be like, oh, are your parents still there? I'm like, yeah, my mom is. And they're like, oh, cool. Your parents still married. I'm like, nope where's your dad at? Um, he died. And then it would be like, Oh, when did he pass? And they're expecting it to be like a long time ago. And it's like, uh, 10 months ago or whatever it was. And and then people just lose their poker face, you know, like, especially at that age when people are younger and really don't know how to handle people. Um, so that was always such a, like, I, that was always a little bit uncomfortable. Um, most people were like, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and cause you don't, you don't want to be defined by that. You want people to get exactly. to know you for other things. And, um, you know, I mean, I will share, um, that, so my biological dad, he passed when I was, um, 18, like right at the end oh, of okay. my, pre- okay. at, at the end of my freshman year of college, we did not have a relationship. Um, I haven't seen him since I was three years old. That's a whole other story for another day, but sure. Um, it was a really intense period of grief for me. And I did feel very isolated because I remember just feeling like I didn't want to tell anyone about it because Mm -hmm. then they would give you that look where just like the air gets sucked out of the room and they don't know what to say. 
you know, or either that or they're afraid of you for some weird reason. <laughs> right. And I imagine it must have been very compounded because I feel like people uh, tend to project whatever their experiences are with their parents onto someone else. Sure. And so since you said that you hadn't seen them since you were three, I'm sure a lot of people were not uh, sensitive maybe to how complicated your grief could have been. And they were probably either, uh, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but they were probably either like, oh my God, you poor thing. I'm best friends with my dad. So you must be going through it that way. Or if they knew that you weren't close with them, maybe they were like, well, why are you sad? (laughs) You didn't know them. You know how people can be kind of weirdly black and white about Absolutely. Yeah. No, it was a lot of that. Or like, I mean, because my mom did get remarried and I did like Mm -hmm. I do have someone who I call dad who has been in my life for a long time. So then it's like, is my grief less valid? Because I did have a father figure in my life, you know. So it's complicated. Um so complicated. (laughs) I mean, people, even if it was more straightforward, people are always gonna have so many opinions about Mm -hmm. what you're going through and none of them are correct except for whatever is actually happening inside of you. And no one ever really guesses it correctly, no matter how straightforward it is. It's so funny. That's true. So it's like, that always was so tricky because it was like, yeah, it would eventually come up. How could it not? And then it was, um, most, some people were really wonderful, especially given the age, but some people you know, yeah, we're afraid of it. Never wanted to talk about it again, or we're shocked if I was having an emotion to anything. Cause I think, especially at that age, frankly, any age, but especially the younger you are, you can have displaced emotions, you mm-hmm. know, where it's like, cause I was very overwhelmed. I had other stuff kind of going on too. Plus like the way, you know, just everything going. Cause when someone dies in a family, the whole family kind of blows up for a second, no matter how close or not close you are. Like I'm not even trying to like talk about my family's experiences, you know, nothing like that, but it, 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 you never feel stuff at the same time. I think that's the most simple way to put it. So there's just like a lot going, there's so much going on with me in college. And so if people were not sensitive to that, that was super hurtful. So when my mom did pass away, I tried to be like more open about it. You know, like I I tried to own that a little bit more and, and not like bring it up abruptly because that's awkward. But like, (laughs) if it came up even a little bit, I wouldn't make people do the song and dance of the 20 questions of like, where are your parents at? You know, I was a lot more blunt in that regard because I felt like I should maybe yeah, just own the narrative and not hide from it and hope that people responded better, but I'm not sure they did. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to say. I mean, I think that if you, you've been through like, I mean, you've gone to therapy, I'm guessing you seem very well adjusted. I don't know. Honestly, pretty minimal. I have had trouble finding a therapist I truly click with. I've definitely gotten nuggets of stuff from therapy, but here uh, and there. Yeah. But I've been, I'm very into self-help books. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. That's good. Or, or just Googling anything that I'm confused about. So like, that's been my kind of DIY therapy to some extent. I was going to say basically like that you've had enough time with it, you know, Mm -hmm. and you've, you've dealt with it in your own ways and you've been able to process and come out of it, you know, this beautiful, well-adjusted person that I'm looking at right now. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I think that then when you're getting to know someone for the first time and that topic comes up, it's a little easier to rip off the bandaid and just be like, yeah, yes. this is what happened. I'm fine. Like, it's fine. Like, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, was, what was tricky about that, though, is like. I would try to rip off the bandaid and I would try because it was OK, because I think I mentioned this, but like seven months after I moved, it was like seven and a half months after I was out here. So like most people had virtually no context as to who I was, Mm. what I had been through, how I operate, what my goals are just for life in general, not just career, you know, because that always comes up first, like, but like just all, all the things, all the puzzle pieces. And it kind of felt like people either, how do I put this? A lot of people, especially since I was kind of in shock for a while after my mom died, like I was numb. Like I cried the day she died before she died, knowing she was going to die like a lot. But once it was official, 
I didn't really cry. I think I kind of teared up cleaning out her closet a few days later. And I got a little weepy on my way back to California at one point, very, very briefly. My mom died in June. I didn't cry again until August though. And it was just this weird compartmentalization that can be a part of the grief process, especially if you're kind of anticipating someone passing. There's a such thing as like anticipatory grief. Yeah. And I think I had a little bit of that. And so I think a lot of people, especially people I was working with, cause I, you know, was writing on a web series and, uh, I was in a puppet improv group at the time. They saw me be very even. And I've been told even when I'm like not okay, I can come across very matter of fact, which is something I'm always trying to recalibrate. So people have a more honest experience of me and I'm communicating honestly, because I think I have defense mechanisms where I try to seem better than I am without even realizing I'm doing it, you know? So that's something I'm always trying to keep myself in check with. But this was a little crazy because I felt like I was using my words where I, I was saying like, I'm okay right now, but I, I mm, will see, or I don't know, you know what I mean? Like the grief is yeah. hard. It takes about a year. And then if I did eventually have those reactions, boy, did they not go well. They were not well received. I was totally gaslit. Like I said, the puppet song very much based on my real experiences mm -hmm. and people just didn't. I think what was more baffling is people didn't want to understand and they wanted to project whatever the hell they thought grief was or how I should be based on whatever information I had told them already about my life. And they were like, just not great about it. So it sucked. <laughs> I'm so sorry that happened. What would you say like it, to anyone out there, if one of their friends just lost someone close to them, mm -hmm. what is the best way to be a good friend in that scenario? That's a great question. I think it, the, the best way to be a friend is probably to just sit with them through whatever they're going through and let them kind of lead the way in terms of like, if they say they're okay, maybe they are. So roll with it. If they say they're not okay, explore that, you know, like definitely let them have agency over their own narrative, but then also check in. Because a lot of people do this bullshit thing where they're like, let me know if you need anything. Let me know mm. if you need. I don't remember who says that. That's such a vague thing. You have all cylinders firing. You're not going to remember a random person or even someone you really do like and maybe is in your life. Tell you, let me know if you need anything. The people that I reached out to when I realized at 2 a.m. I was in over my head and probably had to start telling my friends that I was having these feelings or whatever. Um, or when I had genuine, uh, conflict with something, the people that I reached out to were the people that it, it doesn't have to mean like incessantly, like, how are you today? How are you today? It can just be like, you're keeping tabs on me in subtle and direct ways. So like a combination of like, Hey, just reminding you I'm here to maybe a few days later, just sending me a stupid meme or something, yeah. you know, any, any kind of communication. And those are the people I think to reach out to in life, not just with grief. If the shit's hitting the fan, like, yeah, you know, just like checking there's in. no, yeah, because I, you, I already know it's a safe lifeline, you know? Yeah. And then I think the other thing too, would just be, don't talk people out of their feelings. Don't talk people out of their feelings. Too many people would try to be like, they would try to like tie it up in a bow and, and be philosophical in ways that are not necessarily, they can be true. They can be false. I don't want to like go into that, but they can feel very empty, at least in the moment where it's like things happen for a reason, or you can't go through anything that you're not strong enough to, or they say you're super strong, like you're so strong, you can do this. And if you're crying and everyone's like, but you're so strong, it's like, Maybe I'm not though. <laughs> like, let me, let me not be okay. Maybe you don't feel like being strong that day. Maybe you just want to be weak and you want someone to hold you. Exactly. And it's like, so too many people would try to talk me out of my feelings about all of it, present stuff, stuff I was worried about the future, whatever was going on. And I just think that's like a life lesson, not just a grief lesson. I think people just need to be comfortable with people. If they're in a certain emotion, let them have it. <laughs> let them, yeah. That's how they get through it. That's how you get through it. You work yeah. through it. You, you don't suppress it. So don't, that's a terrible friend thing to do. Don't suppress people's emotions or their narrative. Yeah, I agree with you. I actually, when I was watching um, your video about feeling your feelings, there was something that I really liked that you said, which is that there's no such thing as a wrong emotion. Yes. And yes. so for someone to see you grieving or being sad or angry or whatever stage of grief you're at, 
and try and talk mm-hmm. you out of it. That's like them telling you that you're wrong. Exactly. There's no way for that not to come across as you're being told you're wrong or even dumb about how you feel like you don't know yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and it puts people on the defense. Like look at anything in life. People double down on terrible ideas because they're being told they're wrong versus being asked why they feel the way they feel. Yeah. So yeah. it's just, it works that it works that way with politics and it works that way with emotions, you know? So it's just like, people are just going to get their wheels spinning and cause they're going to be trying, they're going to get frustrated. I got frustrated at least trying to explain why I was frustrated or sad or, mad or whatever <laughs> it was. Yeah. And it's not productive. It's the wheel spinning. It's you're working so hard to be understood and, and you're not being heard. So it, it's, it's terrible. <laughs> I hate it. Well, I hear you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you could share as many feelings as you want with me. Mm-hmm. And I'm Thank not going to say, let me know when you want to talk <laughs> because that's a bad idea. I'll, you know, right. I, I think that's a really good lesson is it's not just about saying that you're going to be there for someone, right? Mm-hmm. It's taking the action yeah. of being there. Yeah. Cause that's believable. Words aren't believable, but if someone's actually checking up on me, take, or, or just, just keeping tabs or a communication line, even if it's silly or whatever, they're keeping that communication line open. Then like they care. Yeah. Like, that's what friends are. Fr- friend, friends don't make you do all the work anyway. So it's the same rules. Like, yeah. And I was going to say like listeners out there, if you're not sure what to say to someone, whether they just lost someone or if they went through a breakup or whatever, sometimes I'll just like, take it upon myself to send like a really dumb gif or meme mm-hmm. to my friend every day. Cause you don't have yes. to say, you don't have to say, how are you every time? You don't have to say anything smart. You could just, just send them something stupid, make them smile, you know? Yes. And totally. um, I think that's like, for me, at least it's a good place to start. Cause it takes the pressure off. It does because chances are too, like, yeah, people can get myself included, people can get annoyed if people are checking in too much, you know, mm-hmm. cause I can feel like you're being watched. <laughs> and when, when people try to be smart about this stuff, it usually is not the right thing at the right time to say, it just isn't, you know? And so I think it's, I think, yeah, I guess another like piggybacking on that piece of advice is just like, you don't have to have any magical words because there is none. What drives me crazy besides the fact that my parents are dead and gone forever. The worst part of besides that sure. is, is that when I know someone who loses someone, I don't know what to say because I know firsthand there are, there's no magic bullet. There's nothing I can say. I might be able to alleviate some of their pain or tension or whatever for like an afternoon if we're doing lunch or something, but I cannot make the process go away. I cannot make the pain go away. I cannot make them missing their people go away. Like I, I know firsthand there is literally nothing I can truly do that's tangible and is going to fix their life. And it's very scary, but it's honest, I guess. And so I always try, like, that's the one thing I kind of can say when people lose stuff. I'm like, I know nothing I say can help, but you know, I'm here, I'll check in. And then I try to say the thing, there's no such thing as a wrong emotion. Cause I do wish more people said that to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not incorrect. And there's no, there's no timeline. The stuff comes up and go, you know, goes away. Like you might think that you've gotten over it. And then like uh-huh. five years later, all of a sudden you just like smell a certain smell, you hear yes. a certain song and then you're back in your feelings. Absolutely. I, that's another thing. Don't ever totally trust a grieving person because there were so many times with my mom's death specifically, cause you know, I thought I had a handle on it for various reasons and boy, did I not, not until after the year mark, probably about like 13, 14 months in. And I don't doubt that there's going to be, I mean, hell, I still miss her. She loved, uh, dumb stories about my dogs, you know what I mean? And so like every time I only have one now, one passed away, but like every time she does something stupid, which is basically daily, she was the person that would appreciate that dumb story. (laughs) And she's not here for that. So like, there's always like weird things that make, whether it's big life events or stupid stuff, like your pets or what your pets are doing, but like, it's never totally over. But like, I was surprised for various reasons, how complicated and long the year that my mom died was for me. Cause I 
I stupidly thought I did have a handle on it and I didn't. I surprised myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was different for you because you were an adult. And like mm-hmm. you said, you knew that she was going to pass. She was sick for a while. Yeah. Not like super long, but it wasn't looking good once it was where it was at. I guess sure. if that makes sense. There was a mm-hmm. little bit of an everyday had a different prognosis, but she was very sick. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and we knew she was going to die the day she did basically. So it was kind of like, um, yeah. And I had a different relationship with her and I had a different bond with her, you know, and all, and I, we were close by the end. We had our ups and downs more prior to like probably the last five, 10 years of her life. but like you know, it was just different. So I thought, yeah, I was dumb. I was a dumb, dumb. I thought I was <laughs> you, you weren't dumb. You were just, you I, didn't know. You had no way of knowing how you're going to feel until mm-hmm. it happens. Well, and that's the other thing too. Cause I think I was thinking kind of what you were saying where it's like, I'm an adult now. It's like, oh my God, being like, you know, like, yeah, an adult versus like pushing 20 game changer, having a passion that you're, you're, uh, pursuing game changer, like having purpose in life is amazing, but it also, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really underestimated. And I also underestimated what it's like to have both parents be gone Mm. because I was not just grieving my mom. I was grieving having parents, which that didn't dawn on me until like a few months in. And I'm like, Oh, that, is a lot actually. Cause when you have like your roots gone forever at an age where like, that's not the most common thing. It's, it's heavy. So yeah, I underestimated all of it. Yeah, no, it, it really just changes the trajectory of your life and the way that you may have perceived it up until yes. that point. And that's, that's another thing to grieve as well is this future that you had, um, envisioned for yourself. Yeah. Cause now I got used to as much as one can, the idea of my dad not being there for certain milestones, but, uh, no, both parents aren't going to be there. Like that's a game changer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for other people out there who might also be in your situation where they, they're like, they're relatively young to not have parents? Uh, like advice as to how to cope or how to to cope with that and, um, how to like be able to move, move forward and find that fulfillment again. That's a really good question. It's, it's tricky because everyone's so different, you know, Mm -hmm. like everyone has such different relationships with their parents, relationships to their own lives and what they're dealing with independent of that. Sure. I think, I think for me, I mean, there's, I'm lucky because I am a very curious person. So no matter how dark things get for me, I have to know what happens next, or Mm. I have to look up something I don't know, or I have to like, and I think that really saves me from myself because I do, despite that I'm like kind of bubbly, I have a very dark underbelly, I think underneath it all. Okay. So like that does sort of save me from myself. Um, or like what worked for you, you know, like where, where was there a turning point for you where you were able to like pull yourself out of your grief enough to turn it into a funny puppet show? Like what, what was this light bulb moment for you? Or was there one? (laughs) I think, I think, I think it was a situation of, I mean, I threw myself into work as much as possible, like comedy work from the jump, which I had mixed feelings about. Uh, I think I took on too much at one point <laughs> and had to like learn to put your heels up sometimes, even though I'm kind of a workaholic, I'm kind of a workhorse. I'm not gonna lie, but I was like, nope, you need to sort of invest in your emotions. I think, I mean, the, the moment happened in terms of like what you're explaining, like a fog did kind of lift a little bit a year later and it was just easier to like see things clearly. But I think for me, closer to maybe an answer that I think could work for maybe anyone is at some point, I don't know when, I feel like it was relatively early on, but I could be wrong. Maybe it happened closer to a year where the idea of like legacy started to kind of hit me where I wanted to live in service of my parents. And it's a little funky because I don't really believe 
in an afterlife. So a part of me feels a little like insane for like thinking the way I think, but I guess the way I look at it is if I live a life that has meaning and hopefully helps people and I accomplish my dreams enough to say that like I did something in this life because they believed in me as a human being. My dad died too young to know. I mean, oh my God, he would get such a kick out of his daughter being a comedian and puppeteer. Like that would make his day. But like, you know, my mom did get to see some of that and she thought it was pretty cool. At least what she understood of it. You know how like parents can do like, they don't really know what improv is. (laughs) Yeah. But she was happy for you. And she, she thought I was going to be the next Jennifer Aniston. I'm like, well, I'm not really going for that. She's lovely, but like, I'm not really (laughs) going for that. But if that's what, if that's, what's going to be communicable to you, then yes, I'm, I will be the next Jennifer Aniston mom. But, um, I think just like trying to keep them in mind, because if I succeed at something, especially as crazy as this, like entertainment world, which is such a tall order, I, I hear it, but it's like, they get to kind of live on in a weird way. Cause their hopes for me or for believing that I could do anything I set my mind to lives on through them. And if my work has any kind of purpose, it's a reflection of them and it's a reflection of what they, you know, who they were as people and what they wanted for their kids. And so like, that's like a really big driving point for me. And I know that's not going to translate to like everyone. Cause not everyone wants to be a puppeteer or comedian or writer or whatever. But like, I think if you live in service of your, the good, the good of your parents, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's bigger than you in a way that saves you from you. Absolutely. It does. No. And I think that is something a lot of people can relate to. Um, that you think of like, oh, this person isn't here anymore, but I am honoring their memory by doing exactly what I want to do and being a good person and giving back to my community and succeeding at whatever it is that I am passionate about. You know, Um, I think that that's beautiful. And that's something that a lot of people can relate to. Like I I can even relate to that. I don't think that you have to have lost a parent to think about that. It could be in memory of anybody you've lost in your life, you know? And I, and I think too, I think just living in service, I think, isn't that like an AA step, like living in service of others or volunteering or something? I think there's a method to that because it gets you out of your own narrative and your own washing cycle of whatever you've been through. So I think living with a purpose in service of something else besides yourself is, is a great way to live your life. I mean, you are living in service of other people who um, are going through grief because I think that if they see your videos or they watch you perform or whatever, I mean, if there's, they're going to feel a lot less alone and they're going to feel like, you know, they come away with some information that maybe they didn't have before. So I think that's really beautiful. And you're shining a light on something that um, not a lot of people are willing to talk about. Well, thank you very much. I yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. I just like to pump people up. I'm a fan. Yay. Uh, <laughs> Yay. So before we go, um, I have a little segment I like to call Hot Tips, Hot Tips, Hot Tips. Lauren Blair, when yes. you have a bad day, whatever that looks like for you, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, one of your puppets breaks. Uh, <laughs> oh no, that'd be traumatic. <laughs> something, something bad happens or you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed that morning. Um, what is a hot tip, something that you do for yourself that puts you back in a good mood? I think something that, and I don't always succeed at this, but I, I do try to do this. Sure. Um, some time ago I got it in my head that I think I was reading something about instead of trying to kick bad habits, replace them with good habits. And that kind of started to translate to me if like, if somebody hurts your feelings, whether it's a bad friend or a bad relationship or someone dies, whatever it may or may not be, if you stay in that, and this is not the same thing as talking yourself out of your feelings, but I do think that's important. But at the same token, if you stay in like a washing cycle where you keep repeating to yourself what happened and you keep dwelling on how bad you feel, it's a lot harder to escape. And it's kind of like that I'm kind of like mixing all the metaphors now, but it's kind of like that uh, saying where if you hate someone, it's like taking poison and expecting them to die. (laughs) You know, like if you keep repeating trauma in your head or you keep repeating what happened in this terrible day that you had, you're kind of bringing yourself down at a certain point. So if I'm catching myself being in like a bad, 
unproductive like mental space. Cause like I said, live in your feelings, the only way out of them. Soon. So like a negative thought pattern. Yes. Yes. A negative thought pattern. That's not actually in service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I try to time it. I'm like, okay, you have five more minutes, like repeat it ad nauseum. And then you have to go read a book or you have to go work out or you have to go write like anything that is productive to get you out of yourself. So you're not damaging your own mental health by dwelling on stuff that's out of your control or already happened or stuff you've already gone over. Cause I think resting the game is super like helpful. You know, if you're, if you're just, if you're just repeating what happened, you have no perspective. If you walk away from it, you might have a better way to tackle it, or you might feel that much better that it might get you through the next hump or whatever. So I just try to, I try to catch myself when it gets negative in a bad way. And I try to like, go find something else to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think I haven't heard that before, but that's brilliant of setting a timer. So you're like, okay, mm-hmm. you get, this is like, it's kind of like you're parenting yourself in a way where you're yeah. just like, Hey, you get five minutes to throw a tantrum after that. We got to go get ice cream. <laughs> yeah, know? no, exactly. Cause it, it does. Like I said, I believe in living in your feelings. I really do. But there, there has to be a timeout moment. You have to time yourself out or it can get too dark or you can just get too unhappy for too long unnecessarily. So yeah. I love that. I think that's a great idea. And I'm going to, I'm going to try that next time. Cause I, I do believe in timers, uh, for productivity. I do that sometimes where I'll be like, okay, you only have to do this task for 20 minutes. Then you get a five minute break. And like, (laughs) yep. Why not do that with our feelings too? That's, that's smart. I like it. Yeah. Cause it gives you permission to feel what you feel, but then it also makes you like get it out of your system at least as much as you can for like at least a little bit. And chances are, I don't know if you're like this, but if you set a timer for doing something like that's fun or something you need to do, sometimes you want to keep going even once the timer, you know, goes off because you're in like a flow or something. So, you know, that can happen also, which makes you feel better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's true. Well, um, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And um, obviously I want them to check out your good grief series on YouTube and your, um, your puppet show, where can people find you online? Where, what is your preferred medium? Yeah, no, I, uh, Blairosaurus underscore Rex on Instagram and Raquel's Buzzco Boulevard also on Instagram. And then my, I actually didn't say this, my comedy channel that I have the good grief series on. I have other stuff on it too, but that's the main thing right now is called Hardy Har Har comedy. And it's named after my dad. My dad's name was Hardy. So oh, I love that. that's how I came up with that. I was like, oh, and since he was funny, I was like, oh, that, that just, it's fitting. So that's so cool. Well, shout out to Hardy. And <laughs> um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Crying Behind Sunglasses. I've been your host, Katie Dahl, and I hope that this made you feel less alone with whatever weird brain shit that you're currently going through. Um, If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe button and leave a review. Um, You can also join us on Facebook at our Facebook private support group. It's facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pod. If you want to learn more details about our guests, just go to cryingbehindpod.com. That's where I put all of our episode guides. And until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny.